0: Welcome to the Small Business Sessions podcast from Enterprise Nation and the Business Connected training program. We help businesses go digital, adopt new technology, and stay safe online with our partners Vodafone Business, Builder.ai, and JP Morgan. This season of the podcast features stories, tips, and inspiration from some of Britain's best entrepreneurs and digital experts. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash business connected for more information. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Well, hello everyone. My name's Dan Martin. I'm a freelance journalist and Enterprise Nations news reporter. In this week's show, I'm joined by Cynthia V. Davis, CBE, founder of Diversifying Group. Cynthia has more than 20 years of experience in the recruitment industry, having worked within and recruited for several well-known large brands. In 2015, she started her own business to help organizations become more inclusive and make recruiting decisions that better reflect our diverse society. In the episode, we discuss what diversity means to Cynthia, why it's important for small businesses, the power of being a B Corp, and what more needs to be done to support female entrepreneurs. Let's get started. Well, hello, Cynthia. Big thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We've got lots to talk about. So as you should do in these interviews, take me back to the start. Do you want to tell me about your background? You've been in recruitment over 20 years. Do you want to tell me about that and how you ended up starting your business?
1: Yeah, God, when you say 20 years, I feel so old then. (laughs) But uh, yeah, um, you know, recruitment is one of those industries that you kind of somehow fall into. And I fell into recruitment uh, purely by chance because one of my best friends worked in recruitment and seemed to be really enjoying it. And I had loads of student debt at the time I needed to clear. So I was like, right, how do I get into this uh, thing called recruitment? And that's how I, I started, really. And obviously, I'm a Yorkshire lass. I started just over 20, almost 23 years ago now. And my first ever job in recruitment was always very interesting because it was not what I anticipated it to be. It was very fast paced. It was... Very salesy, but also very male dominated. And I remember my first ever job in recruitment. There was uh, about 120 consultants that worked in this company that I was working at. There was only kind of five women there, and I was the only person of color. So that was a very interesting start to the world of recruitment. I loved what recruitment does. Well, and I still love what recruitment does, which is really to connect people with great opportunities so they can have a really fulfilling career. But I think you know, for me, the reason I started my own business was because I knew the way that recruitment was done didn't give everyone. Equal access to opportunities and I knew there was a better way of especially underrepresented communities and people that weren't part of certain networks and I wanted to bridge that gap I wanted to make sure that people had access irrelevant of who they knew what background they came from that they could still apply for opportunities and be judged on the skills that they have versus who they knew or the network or if they looked a certain part or if they were the right fit for organizations so yeah that's why I started my business really to try and support organizations to reach a much more wider uh, audience and also one that's reflective of our society where you know we're all very represented in the world so i wanted that to be reflected in the organizations as well
0: mm, fantastic so diversity and inclusion is a term that in your industry that's used a lot and there might be some small businesses but wondering you know what does it really mean so it's <laughs> particularly in a, from a workforce perspective so what is for you is diversity and inclusion
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one when we talk about diversity and inclusion. And I I suppose the way I always kind of try and do it is to really kind of simplify it. And I suppose there are a number of kind of ways to define this and to explain this. And I actually, I was trying to find my notes on here because I actually wrote a very simple way of saying it, which is easy for everyone to remember. But now I can't seem to find it, which is just typical, (laughs) isn't it? So I suppose the definition, if I was to explain diversity to somebody that didn't really understand it, and this is the definition that you know, everyone understands, it's really the practice of equality and inclusion for people from different kind of social and economic kind of backgrounds. But to take it a step further, inclusion is the bit that comes after that, which is where it's really the practice and the act of actually including people in that kind of process. I sometimes use this analogy of it's almost like being invited to a party, you know, and everybody enjoys being invited to a party. But when you get invited to a party, and then somebody asks you to dance, and I always take it a step further, instead of just invited to the party and being asked to dance. What if you're actually part of the party planning committee? That's when everybody's kind of included and that's when everybody feels very invested. So it's a slightly different analogy, but it's one that sometimes helps to explain to people what diversity and inclusion is in a very simple way. I love that. That's a great analogy. You're right. Because I suppose a lot
0: of businesses, possibly bigger businesses often, they'll do the diversity bit, but you've got to do more than that. Like you said, haven't yeah. you? you've got to actually you can recruit diverse but then you've got to make sure everyone is included in the decisions and you know so it's probably easy to do the first bit and you also yeah. got
1: to do the second bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really so important because I think people, to your point, they just focus on, let's just get people that look different into the organisation. But if they're coming into an environment where they can't succeed, they can't thrive, it's one that's maybe doesn't allow them to be themselves, where the difference is actually held against them, they're not going to succeed and they're not going to stay. And then you're back to square one again, you're having to rehire. So it's really, really important that diversity and inclusion also go very much hand in hand. It's not just bringing people in that look different. You've got to create the right environment atmosphere so people can really be the true authentic selves.
0: Mm, Brilliant. So obviously the core audience of this podcast is small business owners, startups and small businesses. So what would you say are the benefits of diversity and inclusion for smaller businesses?
1: I think the benefits for any business, whether you're a small business or you're a large corporate, I think the benefits are pretty much the same because your customer base are all different. And how do you connect and engage with your customers if you don't really understand them or they're not really properly represented? I don't know any business that's just got one demographic of customers. They tend to have a selection of people. So for you to create the right kind of products and services, you need to have that representation and that understanding of how your community or your audiences think or your customer base thinks so you're able to create the right kind of products that then, you know, increases your bottom line, increases your sales. So for me, it's something that's fundamental for any business, irrelevant of size. I mean, you're right. It's a commercial advantage, isn't yeah. it?
0: If like you say, if you're like completely ignoring a segment of potential customers, you're actually missing out financially. Aren't exactly. you? In, in, yeah, exactly. Are there any sort of the businesses you work with on, on this topic? Are there any common mistakes that you you spot, particularly for sort of business owners that are, are trying to do it themselves?
1: Yeah, I think there's this myth that people think, you know, we'll just hire people that look differently and then everything's okay. We'll put them on our website, on our brochure and say, hey, look, we've got everybody represented and, you know... You fix everything. And for me, it's more than that. I think you've really got to understand well, what is it? What are the challenges that people from underrepresented communities kind of face? How are you gonna help them once they're in the workplace? How are you gonna, you know, make sure that those environments are ones that they can be the best selves, that they can thrive, they can succeed. So it's really understanding the process of you as an organization. What are we attracting you know what do we look like from the outside world when people come into our world what do they experience what are those personal experiences that they live and breathe every single day that they come to work you know if you're a a working parent do we have the right kind of facility to support parents flexibly you know who might want to work or if you're somebody from an underrepresented community you know you could be somebody from the trans community do people understand around your pronouns and you know how to use those kind of pronouns it's all these different things that you've got to really understand more than just let's just hire people that look differently so I think that's sometimes a small mistake that businesses do is they just try and hire differently but don't fix the rest of the processes that go with that and therefore it doesn't work and then they go back to well that's why we didn't hire people from that kind of background because they don't stay in our organization or they're not successful because the environment doesn't allow them to be successful because the environment isn't conducive of that Mm -hmm. that's great that's brilliant so what about your own organisation because how many how many staff have you got now it's
0: over 30 isn't it you've got yourself
1: yeah, you know, we're technically, I suppose, a small business with thirty members of staff and you know the diversity makeup of our team is one that I'm very, very proud of. You know, I'd probably say about forty eight percent of our I have to look at the stats here, otherwise my team will tell me off if I get them wrong, but <laughs> 48 percent of our staff identify as ethnically diverse, and then we've got about thirty nine percent who identify as LGBTQ plus, and then fifty nine percent of our staff identify as female, and we've got forty percent that identify as having a disability. This is something that's so so important to us because we we can't practice what we don't preach ourselves. So if we're going out and supporting organizations, we need to really understand the challenges or the experiences of people from different communities. We can't do that if we don't have that representation within our organization. So for me, it was very, very important to make sure that we had that representation that whatever our clients or customers might want we've got that representation that can really speak to those different communities and understand some of the challenges to be able to build the right kind of products for them that can then help them on on their own dni kind of journey hmm.
0: how do you sort of get though the staff involved because i guess with you know that diversity it's great because you can constantly talk to them about you know are we reflecting your community correctly so i guess they're quite heavily involved then in creating the products that you deliver for your clients, I guess.
1: Yeah, massively. And I think, you know, let's not underestimate diversity of thought, right? Because Mm. if we all kind of have this, you know, group thinking, again, that doesn't produce the right kind of products and services. So having people that can also challenge us around what we're creating for our client base by saying, well, actually, that's not going to resonate with my community because this is how things are done or how we tend to do things. And therefore, we can adjust the way that we are putting together our our kind of services and products. So I think it's great because we're always reflecting, we're always adjusting and we're always learning. I don't think there's ever a point that you stop learning. And this is the beauty of having people from different walks of life that can come in to any business and help you on that journey of learning and growing as an organisation. So for me, that's what I love about the people in our business. They challenge us, they help us refine our products, they make sure that they are fit for purpose before we go roll out any Training or in the recruitment services or run any, you know, marketing campaigns that might not necessarily have the right inclusive language or tone or content. So these are really, really important things for any business to think about when they are bringing people in. It's just also not just hiring them because they're different, but also listening to them because of those differences, because they will add value, but they need to be given the voice to be able to speak up as well.
0: Mm. And I guess as the founder, that's something that good founders recognize, isn't it? They accept they can be challenged, you know, you're not, you're not you, but you don't make all the decisions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. That's brilliant. Mentioning that you're the founder, going back to your business. So when you started, it, it was 2015, wasn't it? You started it. So what, was, yeah. what were some of the challenges you faced going from like employee to running your own business and what were some of the challenges you faced over the years and how have you dealt with those with your own business?
1: You know, up until I started my first business, I now run two businesses, but when I first started my first business, I'd never run a business before. I had no idea. I actually had to Google how to run a business. What do you need to start a business? So thank God for Google. It was really trying to understand, well, what is it that I'm trying to do and create? How is that going to benefit the people that I'm trying to support and what's going to be my USP? And that to me was the key of starting that. But once I had that idea and I had that passion was then putting it into action And I remember trying to put together a business plan to go and get funding to start the business. And I struggled to get funding. I couldn't get any funding at all to start the business. And I was so frustrated, I almost gave up. I remember my husband kind of saying to me, look, if you're that passionate about what you're trying to do, and you know, the difference it's going to have on people's lives, take some money out of our savings. And I took 3000 pounds out of our savings and literally started the business on my own from my kitchen table with 3000 pounds worth of my own savings, because I really believed in what I was trying to do. I thought, well, if nobody's going to give me a chance, I'm going to back myself and give it a go you know fast forward eight years later you know we are a team of 30 we're a multi-million pounds generating business but that didn't come out of support we've never had funding we don't have investors in our business we self-funded we just reinvest all our profits back and that's how the business has continued to grow so I think for me it was that access to funding that was the biggest challenge I found and just really something that still to this day is a challenge for a lot of people starting business especially people that look like me you know we We've been going through a Series A funding round, and it's the first time I've had to go through a funding round, and this is for our tech business. And it's been really, really eye-opening when I found the stats for women that have been founded in the last, I think last three years, it's such a small percentage. I think it's something like 2% of female founders that got funding, which is shocking. If you take that to another layer of black female founders, it's something like 0.01%. You know, it's ridiculous. So that in itself stops a lot of people from funding or starting businesses because they aren't getting the right support. There isn't that kind of resource for them. They might have all these great, amazing ideas, but nobody's backing them and nobody's giving those opportunities. So I think for me, that's been the biggest struggle and still a challenge for so many other people who are trying to start their own businesses. It's just that access to funding.
0: Mm. On that stat, I was was going to bring that one up because it's a stat I've I've been a journalist for 20 years and I've written a lot about female founder access to finance. And you write that 2% of VC funding that goes to women. And it hasn't really changed over like several years. It's stayed around 2% despite efforts to increase it. So what do you think? Have you got any thoughts on what needs to be done to improve a stat like that?
1: There's a few things that need to be done. But I think what tends to happen is VCs are more likely to back something that feels comfortable to them, something that they feel is more relatable. So if you think a lot of VCs tend to be men, they tend to invest in other men. So because it's more comfortable, more relatable to them. So if we can get more female VCs coming in, it just helps that ecosystem be a lot more inclusive and more diverse. I think there's been a lot more funds now that are earmarked for female founders. And that's really starting to have an impact and, you know, encourage more women to get funding. So it's those kind of initiatives, I think, that will really start to break that cycle because historically it's always been the same kind of people that get funded. You know, you could have this crazy idea, you go because you look a certain way, people will be like, yeah, you know, looks the part, feels the part, we'll fund him. whereas somebody that probably doesn't look the part, doesn't feel like the part, might also have a great idea, is not looked at so favourably. So I think that's what needs to change. And I think there's been a lot more Accelerator kind of programs that are coming in to really help people with you know how to navigate the world of funding, and I think that's having a, a massive shift in more women coming forward because they're getting that support. Finally, they are part of these accelerator programs and they're supported all the way through to that investment. So that's also having a significant impact. So I think more and more of those will really start to break down the barrier of women getting access to funding.
0: Mm, no, that's that is really good. You're right, and there are there are efforts, you know, but it seems to be a sl- Slow, slow process, but hopefully we'll get there. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it okay. is, and it's painfully slow. But you know, we've got to keep trying. I just think the more we talk about it, and the more we highlight all these inequalities that still exist. That's where we start to see that change. That you know, we've got to keep pushing and not just accept. Well, that's the norm, that's the way that things have always been done. I think we need to challenge and we need to push. Mm, absolutely. So you've been in, as I
0: said, you've been in the recruitment industry over 20 years, I said at the start. So how have you seen that industry? Sorry, you've been in the <laughs> recruitment industry for, for a while. <laughs> a while.
1: We'll go with a while.
0: <laughs> you've been in that you know, one industry for a long time. So how have you seen that industry change in, in the period that you've been working in it?
1: Yeah, I think the recruitment industry is still going through an evolution of change. I don't think they're quite there yet. And especially given that recruitment is normally at the forefront of bringing talent in. So as a sector, if we are not the ones really pushing and driving that change, we're actually part of the problem, not part of the solution, if that makes sense. So I think there's a lot that we need to do better as an industry, I think there's a lot more work that's been done within the recruitment industry to focus on diversity and inclusion. And I think this is probably more so in the last few years. If I think back when I started my career, there weren't many women that were doing recruitment, and certainly not a lot of women that looked like me in recruitment. So I think over the years, the recruitment industry has continued to change and is starting to change and is starting to educate themselves so that they can, too, educate their customers and client base. Because Because I think that is the part that they need to play in all this. They need to be change makers, educators, and then we can start to see that impact longer term. Mm
0: -hmm, Absolutely. Obviously, we had the COVID pandemic, which had a significant impact on the way we worked. You were running a business during that period. What are your thoughts on the long term impact
1: of the pandemic on working practices in the UK? The pandemic had a massive impact in the future of work, really. I call it the future of work because it has massively changed that. So if I look at things like remote working, that was something that back in the days nobody wanted to even consider. You know, you'd be petrified to go and ask to work from home in the afternoon because you had a delivery coming in and people would look at you as if you were crazy. You know, now this is the norm. We live in a very remote kind of world. Hybrid working seems to be the big thing that organisations are more in line with now. Nowadays, around the way that the employees are, so I think it's given people that flexibility to be able to finally get that work-life balance that we all sought for such a long time. For me, especially as a working mum, I love the ability to be able to take my daughter to school and pick her up and still have a you know full day of work. I wasn't able to do that pre the pandemic because I'd have to be in the office and I'd finish very late, and you know, so you'd miss out on all these amazing things. So I think it's just changed our priorities in terms of how we live and how we work, and that blend that we've so long tried to achieve but also it's just allowed organizations to reach a much more and i use the word diverse kind of talent pool because you're not restricted to just geographical location now when you are recruiting people you can look further afield because you can offer remote working my team is so scattered all over the uk which is the first time we've ever done that because pre-covid we were all london-based but now we have people that based in birmingham in southampton in Reading because they can all work remotely. We have set days that we come into London to be together, so we still have that connection. And it's just allowed us to tap into different groups of people that we, for so long, would have not been anywhere near our radar because we're so focused on that very small geographical kind of location. So it's all those advantages in terms of increasing our talent pool of what we can now go out and attract and recruit from. So, yeah, definitely some benefits to that. And I think people are a lot more their priorities of work have changed they're now led more about things that are more purpose-led that have value versus just finding a job that just pays the bills they want to work for organizations that have a greater kind of impact on our society and more access to enjoying a much more richer life alongside the work so yeah it's just changed so many of our priorities since the pandemic.
0: And if you've seen, I guess, wider, like the clients you work with, I guess, are more are offering that now as it's like written into contracts. I mean, my partner recently was applying for a new job, you know, when she was searching work from home was like an option in the search. And, uh, you know, pre pandemic, yeah. you never really saw that, did you, as a formal and it's like written into a contract when she works from home. So are you seeing that a lot with your clients that it's now like it's sort of standard that work from home is part of the contract?
1: Yeah, massively. We've actually had candidates turn down jobs because they weren't given that flexibility. Right. So people have had a taste of it now and they like it, right? Yeah, yeah. We actually had a client who said, no, they've got to be in the office five days a week. And we're like, you're going to struggle to get candidates. And they genuinely struggled to get candidates. So they kind of opened up and said, okay, maybe one to two days. And we're like, You've got to stick to the one to two days because you can't then just say once they started, you change the goalpost a bit. So I think more and more people are turning down jobs if they don't offer that flexibility, because we've proved that it can work with the right kind of tools, you know, the right kind of support functions for people to work, you know, productively. People can just be as productive. You're not spending loads of times on, you know, waiting for trains during train strikes or if you could be working from home and still being just as effective. So, yeah. Mm.
0: I guess, though, you did mention it about, though, it is important, though, isn't it, to have that you all come together in one place on a regular basis? Because that is still important, isn't it, face to face. So I guess that is still a big thing. One of the other things you've done with your business is you're a B Corp, which I can't imagine there's a lot of recruitment businesses that are B Corps. And so obviously a B Corp is a, well, maybe you want to sort of explain what it is and why did you decide to go for that status? And what would be your advice to other businesses considering that?
1: I think for us, you know, we're a social impact organisation and everything that we do has to have that kind of positive impact on our society. And the B Corp ethos sits and aligns so well with what we do as a business. And it's really around, you know, making sure that it's putting people above profit and it's making sure that, you know, it's sustainable, it's impactful and for us, it just made common sense. It fits so well with who we are. And it's using business as a force for good, which is what we stand for. It's in our DNA. So for us, it was a no brainer. And the support that we've had from the B Corp community, where we've been able to share and learn from each other and look at best practice on how we can better ourselves has been incredible. And I think with the accreditation that comes from being B Corp certified, you're held to account for these things. So you don't just... Get the certification, stick it on your website, and off you go. You know, you've got to adhere to all the practices and you're held to account. So it's something that we felt we definitely needed to be part of and part of that kind of movement, and just fits so well with our ethos and who we are as an organization. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there many businesses in your sector that are B Corp status? I imagine it's not a huge amount, or is it a growing, are you seeing it as a growing trend?
1: It it is a growing trend, and I think more and more organisations are starting to see the benefits of being part of the B Corp community, because I think there's a lot that comes from the networking that we do with other businesses who are aligned, similar alignments and stuff, And, and I think there's a lot through knowledge sharing, through business sharing, so I think As much as it is from a business benefit, it's also more from around just really learning from other peers who are just as passionate about the planet and people and just learning best practice from each other. So, yeah, I think a lot of organizations are starting to see the benefits of that and are wanting to be part of that movement and that global support that the B Corp offers as well.
0: And are you seeing it attracting clients? I guess, can you use it essentially as a commercial advantage? Like, are you seeing any clients that are oh, that's hard to monitor, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's probably harder to quantify what we've got. But I think the thing for us is given who we are as a social change organisation, organisations would naturally come to us because there is that need and that there is that focus. And obviously having the B Corp accreditation there just solidifies who we are and there is that kind of accreditation to go with it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that we've seen like a huge influx of customers or clients coming to us because we've got the B Corp. But I think it's just made organisations aware that we are taking this seriously and it is something that we put as a priority for who we are as an organisation.
0: Mm, absolutely as a journalist that writes about businesses I'm increasingly now seeing it as a you know I'm seeing more and more businesses and actually as a journalist the B Corp directory is quite a nice list of businesses if you're looking for good businesses to talk to it's actually quite a yeah, quite a nice yeah. list of businesses to look at.
1: And a nice diverse list as well so there is that diversity of the organisations that are part of that so the knowledge that you share within that diversity of different sectors and what's working in other sectors and what you can learn from it is immense. So yeah, the benefits are endless. Fantastic. So just for the final
0: question, I mean, you've shared so much advice already, but the one question we're asking everyone at the end of the podcast for this series is that. Is what's my favorite color? No, what's your favorite color? <laughs> if you could be an animal, that's a great recruitment question, <laughs> no, isn't would it? it be? What animal? Do you want to answer that? If you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? That's it.
1: Oh, <laughs> probably a panda because they're just so cute. Oh,
0: perfect perfect <laughs> answer. I
1: think I was—I
0: think I was asked that in a job interview many years ago. Oh yeah, can't, can't remember what I said. But the business question oh, is: um, yeah. if you had to give one ultimate tip for business
1: success, what would it be? I think my tip would just be believe in yourself, right? I think running a business is really hard. Anyone that's ever, you know, been in business will know it's sometimes a very lonely and difficult road with loads of ups and downs, but you just got to believe in yourself, even when you get all the knocks and the no's, is use that as your superpower to get yourself back up and keep fighting and proving the doubters wrong. So just be your biggest champion. That would be the advice I'd give. Be your biggest champion.
0: Fabulous. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. And uh, big thanks for joining <laughs> us on the Small Business Sessions.
1: Oh, likewise, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon.
0: You've been listening to Enterprise Nation's Small Business Sessions podcast, powered by Business Connected and our partners Vodafone Business, Builder.ai and JP Morgan. If you've been inspired during this episode, head to enterprisenation.com forward slash business connected to register for webinars and to access free business training. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.